Peace be upon you. So I used to love to watch the show Man vs. Wild with uh, Bear Grylls. For those who aren't familiar, this is a show about how one can increase their chances of survival if they happen to be stranded in the wilderness. In each episode, the host, Bear Grylls, will find himself in some remote, inhospitable locale and try to make his way back to civilization. So in one episode, he may be trying to navigate through a jungle environment. Then in the next episode, it's a desert or a forest or a desolate snowy tundra. One lesson that a person quickly learns from watching this show is that if one wants to survive, they need to understand the situation they're dealing with and adjust accordingly. And this is because the skills one would apply to say a swamp is not necessarily gonna be applicable in a mountainous region. So by understanding our environment and the climate that we're in, one can better formulate a suitable strategy to survive and ultimately find their right path back to civilization. This same principle applies in modern civilized life. From history, we see that societies and their views are constantly in flux. One of the challenges a person can run into is that their mental paradigm may sometimes be out of date with their current political climate of the environment and society they live in. The downside of this is that individuals might apply the wrong measures in trying to restore balance. That's why it's important to occasionally recalibrate our perceptions of reality. And we can do this by gauging what is happening in society to determine if the views of societies have shifted underneath their feet so we can adjust our approach accordingly in order to be able to make the right decisions to make sure our stances are aligned with what's in the Quran. The Quran offers numerous examples of societies that have lost their way and fallen into extremes of disbelief. In this episode, I want to focus on two societies mentioned in the Quran that can serve as a good example of what people equate today's societies with, depending on if you're on the left or right of the political divide. Secondly, I want to make a case that while both these societies have similarities, that today the U.S. is more on the path of one than the other. The first community I would equate with the extreme traditional left of today, while the other extreme is towards the traditional right. These two examples are that of the people of Lot, identified as Sodom and Gomorrah in the Bible, while the other community is that of the one associated with the people in the cave, which is historically understood to be in Ephesus. These two communities are case studies of what happens to a society that goes too extreme in either ideology of either hedonism or traditional orthodoxy and offer a good case study of what we have seen happen in modern society in the last hundred years. So let's first take a look at the people of Lot and what we can determine from their society. So in Surah 29, verse 28 through 35, it reads, Lot said to his people, You commit such an abomination, no one in the world has ever done it before. You practice sex with the men. You commit highway robbery. You allow all kinds of vice in your society. The only response from his people was to say, Bring us God's retribution if you are truthful. He said, My Lord, grant me victory over these wicked people. When our messengers went to Abraham with good news about Isaac's birth, they also said, we are on our way to annihilate the people of that town, Sodom, for its people have been wicked. He said, but Lot is living there. They said, we are fully aware of everyone who lives in it. We will, of course, save him and his family, except his wife. She is doomed. 
When our messengers arrived at Lot's place, they were mistreated, and he was embarrassed by their presence. But they said, Have no fear, do not worry, we will save you and your family, except your wife, she is doomed. We will pour upon the people of this town a disaster from the sky as a consequence of their wickedness. We left standing some of their ruins to serve as a profound lesson for people who understand. So what can we take away from the verses in the Quran regarding the people of Lot? The first thing is that these people had no reverence or concern for God. There was zero fear of God. They thought, for instance, they would never be held accountable. The individuals of this community had no respect for people's properties. For instance, they committed the literal highway robbery, where they would cut people off from their travel and rob them of their lives and their properties. That they treated the lowest members of society with the most disdain. Consider that the angels who came to visit Lot were considered traveling aliens in this town. And the people surrounded Lot's home and demanded to have these angels come out so they can have their way with them. And it shows the level of vice and sexual immorality that was rampant in the society. The fact that the verse says that they came joyfully, it shows that they were boasting about this deviant behavior, this sexual immorality, this vice that they uh, uh, propagated through society. There was no shame, no remorse, no uh, disturbances about living such hedonistic lifestyles. In addition, they completely destroyed the whole institution of marriage. When Lot offered his daughters in marriage, they said, you know full well we have no need for this, that they were only chasing their lust. And in another verse, it describes that the people were intoxicated with their lust, that they weren't able to discern between right and wrong. They had no moral compass whatsoever. And because of this, you see that again, there was no freedom of speech. Lot was prohibited from assembling or talking to anyone, from communicating with anyone. He was forbidden from being able to leave his home so he couldn't travel freely, that he was prohibited from any assembly or association. And they used oppression, fear, and intimidation, and shame to keep members of society in line. And this is a brief summary of the people of Lot, the people of Sodom and Gomorrah, which I equate to the extreme left of society. Now, in contrast, we have the community of the people of the cave that are depicted in Surah 18. In Surah 18, verse 9 through 22, we read about this community's history. It reads, Why else do you think we are telling you about the people of the cave and the numbers connected with them? They were among our wondrous signs. When the youths took refuge in the cave, they said, Our Lord, shower us with your mercy and bless our affairs with your guidance. We then sealed their ears in the cave for a predetermined number of years. Then we resurrected them to see which of the two parties could count the duration of their stay therein. We narrate to you their history truthfully. They were youths who believed in their Lord and we increased their guidance. We strengthened their hearts when they stood up and proclaimed, Our only Lord is the Lord of the heavens and the earth. We will never worship any other God beside him. Otherwise, we would be far astray. Here are our people setting up gods beside him. If only they could provide any proof to support their stand. Who is more evil than one who fabricates lies and attributes them to God? Since you wish to avoid them and their worshiping of other than God, let us take refuge in the cave. May your Lord shower you with his mercy and direct you to the right decision. You could see the sun when it rose coming from the right side of their cave and when it set, it shone on their, from their left as they slept in the hollow thereof.
This is one of God's portents. Whomever God guides is the truly guided one, and whomever he sends astray, you will not find for him a guiding teacher. You would think that they were awake when in fact they were asleep. We turned them to the right side and the left side, while their dog stretched his arms in the mist. Had you looked at them, you would have fled from them, stricken with terror. When we resurrected them, they asked each other, How long have you been here? We have been here one day or part of a day, they answered. Your Lord knows best how long we stayed here. So let us send one of us with this money to the city. Let him fetch the cleanest food and buy some for us. Let him keep a low profile and attract no attention. If they discover you, they will stone you or force you to revert to their religion. Then you can never succeed. We cause them to be discovered, to let everyone know that God's promise is true and to remove all doubt concerning the end of the world. The people then disputed among themselves regarding them. Some said, let us build a building around them. Their Lord is the best knower about them. Those who prevailed said, we will build a place of worship around them. Some would say there were three, their dog being fourth, while others said five, and the sixth being their dogs. As they guessed, others said seven, and the eighth was their dog. Say, my Lord is the best knower of their number. Only a few knew the correct number. Therefore, do not argue with them. Just go along with them. You need not consult anyone about this. So for background of the uh, sleepers of the cave, these were young Christians who wanted to follow the teachings of Jesus and worship God alone. They were fleeing the persecution of neo-Christians who proclaimed a corrupted Christianity that occurred three centuries after Jesus, following the Nicene Conferences, when the Trinity Doctrine was announced, and this is around the year 325 AD. God tells us that this uh, they were in the cave for 300 years, increased by nine, and it just happens that 300 solar years is equivalent to 309 lunar years. So if you take the year 325, add 300 solar years to it, you get around the year 625. And this is roughly in line with when this revelation came from the Quran, proclaiming the history of these individuals. And what's fascinating is that these were meant to be a proof of the worship of God alone. And the individuals of that community turned them into a place of worship to promote their uh, false understandings. In 1928, Franz Miltner, an Austrian archaeologist, discovered the tomb of the seven sleepers of Ephesus. Their history is well documented and can be found readily online. And Ephesus is located about 200 miles south of ancient Nicene and 30 miles south of today's Izmir in Turkey. So what can we learn from this community? that resided when the uh, sleepers of Ephesus were uh, fleeing. One thing it's clear is that they believed in God, but they associated partners with God. And this is spelt out in the verses we just heard. That they attributed lies to God. That they didn't tolerate freedom of speech or freedom of religion. That if such a proclamation was made that you wanted to worship God alone, that you were against the Nicene Creed, that this would have been reason enough for them to be stoned for making such proclamations. And also, that whatever happened, they would always revert back to idol worship. That despite 300 years later, uh, things progressing, that God sends them this miraculous sign, what do they do? They turn it into a form of idol worship. And this is the tendency of this population. So how do we compare and contrast these two communities. So in one group, you have the uh, the people of Lot. In the other one, you have the community where the uh, sleepers of Ephesus resided. 
The common traits that you'll see between these two communities is that there's no tolerance for freedom of speech. There's no tolerance for freedom of religion. There's no tolerance for freedom of association or assembly. And that they use compulsion to gain conformity and acceptance of their doctrine. And what you realize is despite these being an ultra-Orthodox religious community or a completely hedonistic, godless community, that their end outcome is the same. So how do we reconcile that? The challenge we have today is how we define the left and the right. We associate the left with liberalism, hedonism, anything goes, and we assume the right with being uptight and rigid and following orthodoxy. But what you realize is these are two sides of the same coin, that all they want to do is promote authoritarianism, to promote that their way of understanding is the only acceptable form and anyone else will be persecuted, stoned, or banished if they go against the common narrative. And once you see things in that paradigm, that it's not about left or right, it's about how much control should the people of power have over the individuals who reside in that community. And what you see is irrespective on the left or the right, both sides in their extreme form want a tyranny. They want to be authorities. They want to be the boot that's on the neck of every person within that society. And this is what every tyrant in history wants. They want to limit the freedom of speech. They want to limit the freedom of religion. They want to force people into a particular mold that they deem acceptable that anyone else will be deemed either a heretic or a bigot and will be dealt with accordingly. God in the Quran in Surah 2 verse 256 says, There shall be no compulsion in religion. The right way is now distinct from the wrong way. Anyone who denounces the devil and believes in God has grasped the strongest bond, one that never breaks. God is here omniscient. It's our duty if we want to abide by the words of God in the Quran that we give people freedom of religion, we give people freedom of speech, freedom of expression, freedom of assembly, freedom to travel, that when we restrict these, we're actually playing into the hands of individuals who do not believe in the Quran, who do not believe in God alone. So irrespective, if we see society moving too much towards the authoritarian of the left or the authoritarianism of the right, that it's our duty to try to restore balance. Imagine being a captain of a ship. If we see the boat steering too much to one side or the other side, we have to adjust the sails accordingly. And part of being a believing community is being able to restore balance. In Surah 2 verse 143, it says, We made you an impartial community that you may serve as a witness among the people and the messenger serves as a witness among you. So God is telling us one of the, the descriptions of a believing community is that in this context, it's called impartial. It's because we're not authoritarians on the left or the right. We strictly abide by the laws of God in the Quran. And the laws of God in the Quran are just and they're perfectly balanced. In Surah 5 verse 66 it reads, If only they would uphold the Torah and the Gospel, and what was sent down to them herein from their Lord, they would have been showered with blessings from above them and from beneath their feet. Some of them are righteous, but many of them are evildoers. And this word for righteous, muqtasidun, it means someone who's moderate, well-balanced. 
So God is saying that if we want to be part of the righteous, we need to be moderate, we need to be well-balanced. The second we go to one extreme or the other, we're falling into the devil's trap because this is ultimately what the devil wants. He wants us to push us to disbelief. In either way, shape, or form he can get there, that's his end objective. And it's our duty to try to maintain the balance. In Surah 48, verse 29, we read, Muhammad, the messenger of God, and those with him are harsh and stern against the disbelievers, but kind and compassionate among themselves. You see them bowing and prostrating as they seek God's blessings and approval. Their marks are on their faces because of prostrating. This is the same example as in the Torah. Their example in the gospel is like plants that grow taller and stronger and pleases the farmers. He thus enrages the disbelievers. God promises those among them who disbelieve and lead a righteous life forgiveness and a great recompense. This example that's uh, uh, depicted of a plant that is strong and grows taller, it uses the Arabic word istawa. Istawa means, again, something that's balanced, it's upright, that it's strong in its foundation. And this is what's necessary for us to be able to abide by the commandments of God is that we have to have a strong foundation. We have to be on the side of justice. That the second we see things shift either to extreme hedonism or extreme orthodoxy, that we act accordingly to bring things back into balance. So how can we tie this back to the current paradigm we're living in now in the United States? Recently, Elon Musk tweeted a meme that addressed the current left-right divide in the country. The meme shows the political change from 2008 to 2021, where at the onset, you have the left-right spectrum, and in between that line, you have the center. And you have an individual drawn right to the left of center. Then you see the line getting progressively uh, further away where the left now is completely on the other side of the spectrum and the individual and the right have always stayed consistent and now the average individual finds themselves on the right side of the spectrum. Or to put it another way, it's just saying that, look, in the last 10 years, the shift between left and right has predominantly happened with individuals on the left becoming more and more uh, adopting of leftist ideologies while the right and the average person has stayed roughly in the same position. So as this paradigm shift has continued, what you find is more and more of the average people find themselves in the camp of those who are conservative and that of the right. And this isn't to deny that there are not people on the right side of the spectrum that have not gotten more extreme. But one has to ask, do any of these extremists from the right have any kind of real credibility, real power in society? Are they part of the heads of any major academic institutions or banks or part of big tech or Fortune 500 companies? The vast majority of the power in this paradigm shift has occurred on the left. Today, the vast majority of people of influence are all controlled in propagating the talking points of the extreme left. This includes the vast majority of the government academia, media, Hollywood, corporations, corporate media, uh, big tech, big pharma. The landscape we are currently experiencing in the United States has shifted hard towards that of people of Sodom and Gomorrah and not of the community of the people of the cave. And being aware of this is absolutely essential when we try to decide how to get society back into balance. And you could argue 
you know, 20 years ago, the distinction between the left and right, it was very mundane, making it hard to distinguish who was on the site of justice and who was on the site of injustice. But today, it became so distinctly obvious which side has any inkling of credibility that when you look at what the left is propagating, that they propagate the sexualization of children, the destruction of the nuclear family, the proliferation of sexual immorality, the celebration of murder of children, the destruction of people's properties and lives, the restriction in people's ability to travel, the restriction in people's ability to trade freely, the restriction in people's freedom of speech and freedom of religion, and promoting a godless, hedonistic lifestyle. This is all propagating from the left, which has the majority of the power in American society. You know, if I was living in Afghanistan, my thoughts would be different. I would say, look, we are living in a place of extreme orthodoxy where they're uh, curtailing freedom of speech, freedom of religion under the guise of religion. But today, living in the West, living in America, this propagation of evil is more akin to Sodom and Gomorrah, which is on the left side of the spectrum, than anything even remote to what we see from the authoritarianism that comes from the right. There's a quote from Mark Twain. It says, whenever you find yourself on the side of the majority, it's time to pause and reflect. Right now, again, the majority of the power established in this country is being propagated by the hedonistic, godless left. These individuals are trying to destroy the very fabric of morality. And if you fail to see that, you're going to be giving the wrong solutions to the problems of today. And it's worth waking up and seeing how much the sands have shifted underneath their feet. Despite you might have been a Democrat the last 10, 20 years, that chances are if you're upholding the verses of God in the Quran, that the liberalism that was traditionally associated with the left has been far gone. And now you're left with leftist authoritarianism who are trying to control every facet of a person's life and remove any aspects of God, religion, morality from society. Again, we read Surah 2, verse 256 says, There shall be no compulsion in religion. The right way is now distinct from the wrong way. Anyone who denounces the devil and believes in God has grasped the strongest bond, one that never breaks. God is here, omniscient. God is telling us very clearly that there shall be no compulsion in religion. If someone is a disbeliever, an atheist, they still have a religion that according to the Quran, they are not allowed to force their ideology, their religion on the masses. And God is telling us that he's made the right way now distinct from the wrong way. If you want to know what the right way is, again, it's freedom of speech, freedom of religion, freedom of expression. These are the things that God is promoting. Because these are the things that are necessary for people to be able to make their own decision for what it is they worship, what it is that they believe. And what ends up happening is when they get on the path of disbelief, that inevitably it leads towards authoritarianism. It leads towards tyranny. We see in Surah 4 verse 76 is those who believe are fighting for the cause of God, while those who disbelieve are fighting for the cause of tyranny. Therefore, you shall fight the devil's allies. The devil's power is nil. And this word that's used for tyranny, it's synonymous with the word for idols. That a sign that someone has moved away from the right path is when their idols are propagating them to use force and coercion in order to establish 
their ideology on the masses. God tells us in Surah 49 verse 9, says, If two groups of believers fought with each other, you shall reconcile them. If one group aggresses against the other group, you shall fight the aggressing group until they submit to God's command. Once they submit, you shall reconcile the two groups equitably. You shall maintain justice. God loves those who are just. That if we want to live in a just society, we have to figure out who's doing the oppressing and who's being oppressed. And once we establish that, then in essence, we have to fight the oppressing group in order to be able to restore justice. And we don't do this by listening to the media. We don't do this by listening to, to, to pundits. We do this by following the verses of God in the Quran. There's a quote I love from Malcolm X. Says, if you're not careful, the newspapers will have you hating the people who are being oppressed and loving the people who are doing the oppressing. Don't let the devil pull the wool over our eyes. Let's follow the path of God. Let's identify the landscape we're living in. And God willing, let's act accordingly in order to establish justice. God willing, we're going to end there. If you guys got comments or questions, please join us on our Discord community group. You can find the invite link below. If you want to follow the verses of the Quran, you can go to the Quran Study app on the iOS app store. And if you don't have an iOS device, you can go to QuranStudyApp.com website. And if you're looking for more information, you can go to ChronicLabs.com website. And until next time, peace and God bless.